0: Welcome to The Leather Sellers Presents Outsider Craft, with me, Yusuf Osman. A podcast that seeks to rediscover the purpose and meaning of craft as we navigate complex issues that we face as individuals and together as a society. Good morning, Min. How are you?
1: Very good. Thanks Thank you for... for inviting.
0: Thanks for joining, yeah. How are you feeling?
1: Very good. And you?
0: Well, I'm a little bit nervous. I am a little mm-hmm. bit nervous. Uh, I always feel nervous, even though. Well, it's only my third episode, but still, I feel nervous because, of course, I want things to go well.
1: Absolutely, me too. But I, yeah, I, I try to come and um, share about things, and hopefully, it's be a productive conversation.
0: So I've been to your home, which mm-hmm. is also your studio, mm-hmm. and your gallery and your art space and all of the things and i guess i i think it would be useful to have your introduction about how you see yourself and your practice because for me i think leather craftsman doesn't really fully portray your philosophy Mm -hmm. uh Ah. so how would you say
1: well, I I started leather work a while ago, maybe 10 years ago. And n- nowadays it's something that is very apparent in my life. Um, but trained, trained in architecture and before that also, I, I paint a lot as, a, as I was a kid. So I enjoy doing these things. And um, somehow leather... Allow, leather work, working work, working with leather, allow me to somehow pay more attention to these little details. And throughout my um, study um, in architecture, I was able to accumulate along with working with leather um, some sort of way of thinking that I'm trying to theorize nowadays, I, I would say. And um, so, yeah, I, I think of using... Um, I think for some reason, I think of leather as a first form of architecture, Mm.
0: uh,
1: a a shelter for the body, if we may say. And uh, that's why I I feel human and leather has some sort of very intimate and nice relationship Mm. with each other. It's something that brings warmth to some sense. So yeah, that's why I cherish it as a material.
0: I really like that way of thinking about <laughs> leather as the first shelter. You said,
1: "Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's. I don't think there is any historical proof of of sort, or maybe there may be, but uh, mm. in in what I think, we may hunt an animal and we may digest it, and then we left with the bones and the skin. So the bones become some in some scenarios the jewelry, jewelry yeah. whereas the skin becomes." Before we have all the houses and all the architecture and whatever, it was the first thing that we put on the body, mm. and it would, it became the shelter for the body in that sense to mm. me, and that's why I think it's the first form of architecture before all the tents, the the houses, everything.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. So yeah, <laughs> and so you are trying to incorporate your knowledge of architecture and space mm-hmm. and combine that with leather and craft in a way. Uh, why have you decided not to pursue architecture though as a career um, because that's what you studied
1: Yes you it, it, it's it it's it's, um, it's correct to say that I'm not pursuing architecture in a traditional sense where mm. you may say oh yeah architecture is about walls ceilings and building buildings but I would argue that I'm actually still pursuing architecture in my very own sense where I approach architecture from the point of view of the object and from the point of view, from the, from the skill of the human, where um, the architect tends to think, okay, we draw some lines on paper and then we create the space and the human occupy and inhabit it. But I see architecture forms in a way where it, it, it's, um, it's, it's from the object and the activity that happens around the objects and then the space starts to form and slowly, the architecture will take shape um, and at the same time, the reason why leather is kind of um, prominent or important in my practice is because i I see leather craft is something that is a very long lasting sort of craft it, it allows for things to be to last for a long time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when when that happens i I feel like there is some sort of um, relationship and um an uh, an identity that can form between the human and their space over time and and that to me is something that i feel is a little bit losing in kind of the very fast-paced industrial Mm -hmm. housing or spatial interior market so So, i
0: think what you're to sort of summarize what you've Mm. said is that you think that architecture should be formed as a reflection of us and the objects and the way we live rather than the way the architects do it now is that they design the space and they fit the human in and we have to work towards the design of a box rather Um, than the boxes being, rather than, well, they wouldn't be boxes necessarily, but rather than spaces being designed for us.
1: On that note, I I do feel like if there were no such boundaries then in my my mind, uh, I think everybody would be, of the own um, because if we sometimes look at animals we may um, I, i'm not saying any every animals but some animals for example let, let's talk about a bird so a bird doesn't um, the, the way they construct their space is that they scavenge for things within their within the distance that they can travel mm-hmm. within the energy and so they scavenge which in, in in our society we may think of trash things that are just lying around and they br- they bring it and then they construct their nest out of it, and that's something that I do in my practice as well. Is that I, a lot of the time, I gather sentimental items or found objects to make um, usable objects for functional objects for the home, and um, that that to me is something that is very beautiful, but a bit lost in mm. our life.
0: I. Really loved, for example, the table that you have in your home, which mm. you constructed from a found pool table. Oh, yes. Which you divided up into quarters, Same. right? Or more um, than that?
1: Yeah, it's about 12 sections. 12 sections. So,
0: so, yes. And then you filled all of those sections with sentimental items mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from your life, which normally we would not know what to do with or exactly yes. throw away. Mm-hmm. And then you filled it with resin. And suddenly all, it encapsulates, I don't know, how many moments of your life. Mm-hmm. But Then it becomes a centerpiece of your home, yes, of your space. And using all of those things as memories, but also then becomes a functional object. I really loved how you put all of those things together. And I think definitely that these uh, I struggle with the definitions of like artist and craftsperson and and it's partly because those definitions didn't exist there was no real definition Mm -hmm. between an artist and a craftsperson and if we are to think of art as something without rules and craft as something with a structure or set of rules to follow then as you say I think all of us uh, however we choose to live our lives we are all tasked with the art and craft of being human and we we have to do that if we want to live a meaningful or fulfilling life mm-hmm. and that might not be that might not mean that we are all making things as such but the act of being human in itself is both an art and a craft and we have to figure out those things Whether that be crafting our relationships or um, the art of finding out how to be fulfilled, because certain things are more loftier to achieve than others. Mm -hmm. And we certainly don't have a rule book.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: And that's the same with craft, you know, we have to figure things out through the doing, which is very much in our life. So for me, the practice of making materially informs how i live because it helps me to identify the relationship i have Mm -hmm. with myself with the world through the material and with other people Mm -hmm. i think that so i think for what i think is that we not everybody would be we already are Mm -hmm. and if so this podcast series is called outsider craft because i've always felt that i was an outsider but but I think we are all actually craftspeople, mm-hmm. however you choose to define it in the broadest sense. And we are made, especially in Western societies, to feel like outsiders in their own crafting of our lives because we are so far removed from the day-to-day
1: humanness, really. So it's almost as if there is some sort of external forces that not allow you to do yourself.
0: Basically, yeah. And if I think about the trips that I have taken, and I am assuming that maybe it's the same uh, from where you come from in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So if I compare my experiences of being in India versus being in Singapore, and then in the UK, and then Bali, so they are very different in the way that they approach what craft is. So Mm -hmm. For example, in India and Bali, I saw very much craft being a part of life. There is no difference between being a human, living your life, doing the day-to-day and craft. It's all inherently Mm -hmm. built in. So, for example, in Bali, every day they do offerings to people, to to gods at the temples. And those things are all crafted from leaves. It's got handcrafted flowers and stuff. And it's all made every day by somebody locally in the village and it's passed around and then it's offered uh to the temples and the gods so from that little element up to the fact that everything in the temple is crafted by someone locally mm-hmm. from stone to the f- masks that they wear for their ceremonies which are crafted from leather and from palm trees it's all just a part of life yes and yes. so they're not outsiders to anything mm-hmm. is very much a way of being and i I think maybe it's the same for for you when the you way were growing you're growing up I in your.
1: Country. No, absolutely. I yes. It, so in in my family, I would think <clears throat> there was um a, um um yeah a, a, a sort of a, a scene of that where my so my grandmother was very much I would say I would call a horror mm. say similar to me, which if defined by. Um, the, the, the medical institution is actually um, a kind of um, a disorder, yeah, yeah, a yeah, disorder. Yeah. But yeah, similarly, to what I was talking about with, with the, the, the birds earlier, I think hoarding is very much our nature mm. where we, mm. yeah, we scavenge things and we build our
0: environment,
1: environment uh, mm. out of it. And then uh, as, as a hoarder as well, she would, she would categorize everything, some um, rubber bands, some little metal sticks, yeah. whatever she she then categorized it and used them very well and, mm-hmm. and so it, it's not just that accumulating but also utilizing them in a very smart way and um i'm not uh, I, I i try to be like like that so i also hoard a lot of things but sometimes i forget about them yes <laughs> and um that's why my house is filled with a lot of random stuff but yeah re- lately i find a way to actually turn them into uh, meaningful objects mm. like like the table that you mentioned and sat when it becomes that table, firstly, as you said, it becomes a centerpiece and also a conversational piece instead of being stowed away in closed cupboards. But at the same time, it, uh, it allows me to further kind of reinforce or further create a, a, a deeper relationship with these objects. Mm. And, mm. and that's what I meant by a space that is not homogeneous and not ubiquitous, but rather something that you really have a connection with, mm. like a, a sense of belonging to And that to me, I think what's craft bring about to a space.
0: I think I remember something that you mentioned uh, in one of our other conversations about how spaces are becoming really homogenous. And Mm. also, I think that links back to this concept of hoarding. And it's very interesting that you say that our nature is hoarding because very much where we are now in the West is everything is about getting everything beige and minimal. We want as few things as possible. We want things to be clean and tidy, which is also very much at odds with the culture of materialism, which is about consumption. And yet we want to consume, but make it look like our homes are empty. And it's uh, also interesting what you said about you, you know, you if your friends invite you to their new home, for example, even without you going there, you kind of know what it's going to look like because you know that it's going to be filled (laughs) with the type of objects that they will have purchased from Ikea or Mm. something similar. You kind of know what their homes would look like and you're very much against the homogenization of spaces. And I think it reminded me of this article I read about a study where Uh, it was analysing the removal of colour in society and Mm -hmm. how relating it back to architecture, how spaces globally are becoming more homogenous because colour has always been used to define identity. If you look at any culture, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's always been identified by colour and by lots of stuff, actually. Mm -hmm. And by making spaces homogenous, not only is it removing identity, It at at once both makes us feel at home wherever we go. So I can go from here to a cafe in Singapore, to a cafe in Bali, to a cafe in China, and at once feel at home, but not at home because it's not my home. Mm -hmm. So these spaces make us feel like they're ours because we feel comfortable in them because they are homogenous, but yet they're not ours because we don't have any mark to put our identities on them through objects, through colour which is all linked to um a sense of a community putting an ownership on a space. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like the privatization of and the homogenization and beigeification of spaces.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yes, yes. Well, firstly I not to attack minimalism, but I <clears> think it's um it may exist on theory, but in practice I th- it's it to me is something almost impossible to achieve. It's it's almost as if to say, can you become a blank slate? Mm-hmm. And 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 that is something. Um, um, yeah, in my mind, impossible to achieve. And uh, I was about to say something that I forgot. Anyway, a- about the color, I. Um, I tend to think a, a, a culture or like the color representation of something is, ten, tends to be derived from the surrounding of, of, of that um, kind of culture so that it's not suddenly that, let's say, um, Vietnam decided to use some certain specific colors, but rather it was a response to the surrounding environment. Mm. And as these um, ideas of um, yeah, standardization and uh, beigeification came about they suddenly tried uh, to 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 water these things down in order to fit some sort of standard or trend or uh, oh. of, of the sort and um that's when things become losing in their cultural identity
0: i think very much so things would have been defined by what you had around like as you said it mm-hmm. would have been the colors that were in your environment the materials that you had access to and so I don't know how do we how do we live in a globalised world where we all want to experience other cultures, while at the same time in some ways we don't because we want things that we're comfortable with, which is why things start to become similar all around the world. And I don't know if it's social media that has a part to play mm-hmm. and also this culture of reviews and if I can link it back to my current trip I generally speaking when I want to make decisions I spend a long time because I think that there is a right decision and actually there's no such thing as a right decision you just have to make a decision Mm -hmm. and I think that if I spend more time researching, if I spend more time looking at things, reading things, thinking about things, reading reviews, that I will uh, be able to make the right decision. And so in some ways, we are trying to protect ourselves from something going wrong. But you can book the most expensive hotel or go to the most expensive restaurant and something can still go wrong. Mm -hmm. So, And you can maybe book a a random place to stay and it could be the most amazing experience with a local family and you you just don't know how things are going to turn out. So no amount of reading reviews, spending time thinking about things can help you to make a good decision because you have no idea what the outcome of anything you do will be. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of, we want to experience things, but yet we want to protect ourselves from things going wrong. And so there's, I suppose, this element of control or something.
1: But if, if I may ask, so with, with that kind of um, thinking, it, when you are making crafts or making your le- leather work, do you tend to try to find this sense of control? Yes. Or, you, you, or, or do you let it actually quite loose?
0: No, I don't, and that's one thing that I, um, that's one thing that probably has got me to this point point now where i feel so frustrated mm. because oh yes, you meant, yeah. yeah because i was trying to control the craft like if i get to a certain place if i am good enough with something then i will be able to control the outcome of it mm-hmm. and that's just that's just again not how how it works and i think very much so i want to maybe try and relinquish some of that control and thinking that because we can't control the outcome all we can control is what we do in this moment mm-hmm. and
1: well in a way i i feel like it's a little bit similar to the point you were saying earlier about the struggle we choose to go with or the problems we we choose to solve in our mm-hmm. lives And obviously, regardless of which direction you take in your practice, there will be struggles you need to deal with. But it's also someone who I I, I can't be able to quote precisely, but someone has said it's those who let things like a little bit out of control that are end up being. So, yeah, I think put it shortly is that to gain control, you need to lose control. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I so that, that that that's my thinking for the moment is that yeah, I you're trying to control too much in your mm. practice, perhaps. So
0: yeah, and I think it is about again trying to get an outcome, mm-hmm. and you can't control the outcome, even if you spend all of your time working in your craft. The only thing that you'll end up doing is what kind of happened to me is kind of having a burnout because i think things just have their own pace
1: no oh, yes absolutely but it, it's it's the enjoyment of solving these mm. problems that you enjoy rather than reaching that end yes. goal it's almost like so let's say you let's say you reach it now would that be the end or would you like to continue solving these problems sort of scenario if i May think because yes, once let's say you reach that thing,
0: this rhetorical place that you're yeah, trying to get. Then to, I, I suppose yeah.
1: you would still want to have more problems to solve yes, in this latter yes. sense, and therefore there's no point of reaching, or maybe there there won't be an end mm. reach in some sense.
0: <laughs> Just in the book uh, I'm reading, uh, in a chapter I read this morning, is it, there was a similar thing, which is that we are all trying to get to a place where we where we think we will be happy and we won't have anything to do anymore. We, we're inherently problem solvers, yet we're all trying to get to a point where we will not have to solve any more problems. Mm-hmm. So we think that we want to get to this place where suddenly everything will be fine when there's never going to be that place because there will always be things that we want to do I think it kind of goes when you were saying something about blank slate there have been moments in my life where I've tried to be minimalist and it just doesn't work so you might get rid of a whole load of stuff Mm -hmm. but then you need to do stuff so I like to do things right so if I want to cook then I'm like oh I got rid of those things but now I want to bake and then if you want to do anything to a particular standard you need things for that of course you can um, you can work with the bare minimum, but there's a reason why we've developed more tools to do things, because it allows us to achieve different standards of things. Mm-hmm. Same with leathercraft; I could do it with the bare minimum tools, but if I want to achieve something else, then yes, I need a splitter and a skiver and... There's a reason why we made all of these things. It's to allow us to achieve different levels of things. And Mm -hmm. as much as we can be innovative with having the bare minimum, which is also a practice in itself, um, people did make wonderful cakes just with a wooden spoon and their (laughs) elbow, you know, uh, their arm strength and their bicep strength, right? People still made stuff without mixers and splitting machines. But if you want to do different mm-hmm. things you need the right tools so then you have to buy stuff so. yes, yes and have stuff so, so it's y- interesting
1: somehow in my mind I feel like if you were to be <coughs> the blank slate then obviously you won't have any expectation of the end goal of some sort so that yeah if you become that then I think that is more or less the end because you, you have no place to go you have no mm. expectation to be you have nothing to kind of tend to in a sense but Craft somehow gave me this sense of living, or the sense of feeling in a, in in life. Where, and I I keep wanting to bring back to this bird because <laughs> I just feel like okay, if 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 we don't have these kind of, I, I I can't specify what things they are, but like these things that we need to tend to in life. Then, at the end of the day, it's we are in our body and we need to have a space to be or to inhabit or to live in mm. and therefore because of that then with our w- whether your craftability is like very simple or do you like to be very very detailed and extravagant but it, it's a constant kind of to me um a constant thrive to make a space not better but more fitting to yourself and obviously yeah. we, we 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 change we change over time the environment change the weather may change everything may change it it's a, it's a constant flux the the earth and because of that it's um, our environment may also change and that's what i think craft brings about and because of that there isn't really an end to reach mm. in a way
0: so it brings about what a sense of surety in a changing
1: um, world or? Uh, no no i i i, I think it it brings about this kind of um ambiguity and this kind of um uh, a, a sense of wanting to just keep going going and adapting mm. and changing your environment and your yeah just just ah, I, I don't know i don't know if it's right to say if it's keep you to keep you busy and keep mm. doing things that you enjoy to to make your environment Mm. more adapting to you but yeah that's
0: how did you go about developing the philosophy that you have about incorporating craft and space is it something that has always been on your mind or is it something that came about through your architecture practice um how did you mix all of those things together um because your home is your workshop is also your art space is your gallery and there's no there does not seem like there's a dividing line between all of those things which makes it really exciting and also I don't think that anyone can really truly get a sense of it without actually being in your space even seeing it on Instagram you don't get a sense of the fullness of your practice until uh-huh. you're actually in it and then you well, understand um, what it's all about. How did it come Um, out?
1: Well, if I must be honest, I don't think I know the actual answer because I'm still in that process of kind of trying to um, understand it myself as well. Mm. But it's it's all these things that I am interested in and therefore I allow myself to, you know, pursue them. Mm. Even though sometimes there may not be um, a worthwhile payback, Maybe what I meant is monetarily. But obviously, in terms of my um, um, consummation, it does give me some satisfaction. And because because of that, I I don't know. I guess that's why I I came up with my saying that if there was no such boundaries, then everybody be craftsmen because Mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing. And Mm -hmm. I really enjoy those things. And yeah, I, I, I don't think there's in my mind a way that I can let's say theorize my kind of practice, but it would tend to be stay kind of interdisciplinary and with no unbounded fields. I guess if that are. makes sense at all. I don't.
0: Yeah, know. <laughs> I, think, I think you are theorizing <clears throat> through the living of it, mm-hmm. and that's how it comes across. And, and, and
1: because yes, so. Maybe in a sense, both you and I, and me on my daily basis, are trying. Me, me is trying quite hard to define what I'm doing. Mm. But the beauty that we've been talking about is that actually, if we were to let everybody be kind of like free in a sense, then we would all be very different. And we to to be able to describe to someone else your practice would be super hard because mm. there won't be such definition as artist or lawyer or yeah. Um, yeah. craftsman or, or of the sort. And and, and yeah, th- then everybody you meet would have a whole different um, set of skills, whole different mm. um, things they do. Their house would be very different. Mm. And to get to know them would take probably a long time. Mm. And mm. it's not just like a word that you say, oh yeah, this is what I think.
0: <laughs> I think that's exactly why I have the issue with definition mm-hmm. because it is so hard to define and in some ways that's what would cause the problem right it's going back to this idea of asking a child what would you like to be when you grow up it's very constricting and it's Mm -hmm. better to ask like we said what kind of problems would you like to solve or what kind of skills skills would you like to acquire and in that case that can be as broad as the person is different obviously there's architecture in your practice and there's leather craft but you also work with wood Mm -hmm. and of course i suppose all of the found objects is a practice in itself
1: so Yes, which which is why I feel like I would really want to bring the leather conversation into architecture and vice versa, mm-hmm. um, because then that's what is what I feel like that is the un- ex- unexpected things that may came about, and um, and yeah, some some for some reason I, even though wood and leather has been something that we have in in humankind, I think we've been using it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, maybe I'm just very ignorant. But I don't find a lot of objects that are leather and wood together. I mean, there certainly are. Mm-hmm. It's that? It's just that not in my mind, not enough. And that's what I want to develop more. And so the the wood, um, the wood, um, the wood craftsmanship of mine came from, came from when I was studying architecture, and I was making a lot of models. Mm-hmm. And model making was like my was my very um uh, something i I really enjoy Mm. and it's also something that is very liking in architecture because i don't know now nowadays it's all about renders Mm. and um um, like nice renders and uh, how to yeah get built fast and um good value but I find uh, model making is actually a very good language in communicating with each other during the design process. Mm. And um, personally, if I were to practice architecture, I would really, really want to bring that
0: back—not
1: mm. not not back, but bring that forward, like a bit more.
0: What do you think architecture students lose by removing the physical making of models? What do they? What do you think? They
1: I lose would in think their they lose a lot. Uh, in a sense that they lose their three-dimensional understanding of a space. They lose a... Because you know when, yeah, we we may think of very detailed and very finely made architecture models, but at Mm -hmm. the same time it it can be very sketchy and very quick in terms of communication. So sometimes I may start to describe to you, let's say, this room or uh, some room, but when we're not in this room, and it would be very hard to say with you in words, Mm. I, I may say something and you may imagine something different and then you say oh okay I got it but it's actually not the same thing that we are talking mm. about and a drawing too a, a, 2D, dep- a, a 2D representation can be a, a, a good one but sometimes limiting whereas yeah. I, I find that a, a, a sketch kind of model where if I give it to you and then we both look at the same angle then it we, we, we are really on the same page mm. and that to me is, yeah, so so in what I was saying, I guess, to me, the physical model is even beyond language, like verbal language, mm. because it allows to communicate more precisely. So I may give you a, a, an architecture model and say, this is my idea.
0: Mm.
1: And, and, and that, as an idea, would maybe say more than a paragraph, and it would be more precise.
0: And it also exchange. transcends... Like cultural barriers, like mm-hmm. if you are from different backgrounds, when you put everything together yes. in a model, you you can convey an idea that transcends
1: mm-hmm. that words may not be able language,
0: uh, culture, or um, it's just there, isn't it? It's a physical mm-hmm. thing that you can manipulate and uh, inhabit in some yes. ways. And so,
1: if 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 we so architecture is now seen as, um, I, I think, a kind of very—I don't know the word—but in essence, I think it's also very come down to crafting. It's crafting, okay? It may be crafting of a very big piece of object, mm. but yeah, in in essence, it is to me um, the 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 crafting of activity, the crafting of um, life spaces. Spaces, yes. I would think a good architecture or a good Archite- yeah, a good architecture design would reinforce these character and identities. And occasionally, in my mind, which is also the reason why I run like leather workshops in like this small house of mine, which most of the time it's a kind of a private space. I live there on my own, and most of the time it's just one person. Mm. And if we were to think kind of architecturally, then yes. If I, if you go through my entrance door, that's my space, and no one goes through. But occasionally, on my exhibition days or when I run workshops, I would like people to think about it as a sort of, and let's just say it's a kind of intermediate zone, which is not binary, not a private or public, but it's mm. it, it's a kind of zone of both, where people can come and feel at home and um, use my space to craft whatever they want to make and bring it home and embedded into the living environment
0: Mm. this kind of idea of shared spaces really because so you go inside an alleyway and then there's this like massive home but it's also got a temple which is the house temple but also people of the local community will be able to use it Mm -hmm. so there's a family's home and each home has a temple which is their house temple but also The community can Uh. partake in it. So you have this kind of what you're saying, this shared space. Yeah, the
1: the temple of every household is a kind of like not private zone, but whether it could be private. It could be
0: private because it it is their home. Yes. But it's also every morning people from the local area will come because you might have a temple for X God. They might have a temple for another one. So you might if one day you want more wealth or more peace, you might go to their temple, Mm. you know. So it's this like, this is my private home for my extended family, but also it's a community space and some people from the local community might come and put things outside your home in your temple. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of grey zone. And then also some homes will have a a space for different family members they will have a burial ground they'll have different statues of different gods and they may have a shop for things that their family might make they might have an area outside for crafting and they may have a space for performance for different deities so it's very much what we've been talking about in this kind of mixed use space that is at once public and private and of course now they also have tourists coming into it right so Mm -hmm. they have people like me going in and looking and i i find that but that's also part of culture right so that's something that totally is
1: and can be achieved (laughs) yes i totally agree and um and it's, it's funny that it's such different thinking in different cultures because i would think those people wouldn't be afraid if we were to done something wrong in those spaces. I mean they mm. they they there would be there would be problems obviously and they wouldn't be so happy if we suddenly dropped some important statue. It would mm. be very bad. But they allow they allow these things to happen, as we can see from the way they opened their door instead of leaving it closed. Mm. Mm and and it's it's yeah if you were to put it in the way we were talking earlier it's like the ability that they were able to i wouldn't say gain control but maybe gain some sort of i don't know what would be the word but they they were able to lose control in the sense, like to to let go of the control to allow, yeah. to, to allow like conversation or to allow mm um random things to happen which is something i i i i think very liking in in my life here and um in my practice at least i feel that craft is something that i craft and space is what i is a medium or the Mm. tools that i use to to allow these things to happen but yeah
0: i think for me that was very much something that i felt well i didn't know it was something that was lacking but very much so now i can't imagine going in my studio and locking myself away to work Mm -hmm. i can't imagine doing that so i definitely think that my craft needs to be something that opens me up to the world and that I open the world, uh, I allow the world in. And I think the pandemic was, even though I quite enjoyed the, I, the, the time that I had locked away in my studio and I could do it and I didn't have to make any excuses about it, but I think it, looking back, it was a really unhealthy time because I developed an unhealthy relationship to my work because I thought that it was healthy to be in my studio working all the time, just on my own making no, but stuff. I,
1: I, I think it's... Um, so what, what I was trying to say earlier, I think we... as as the kind of like... Um, we, we change all the time, basically. Mm. And it's okay for to have those moments, moments where you... Yeah feel like okay maybe i lock myself up for three months and work very hard but then after that if it's if you don't feel like that anymore you have Mm. to you you start to not do that and you start to maybe open your door and do other different things but it's to look to look back it's it's to criticize yourself in that sense i think is is then become unhealthy but at that moment obviously you chose to do it and you felt good at that point then it it it's good. And mm. um, obviously, I, I'm, I'm sure you must have achieved something during that time.
0: So what would be your tips then? Oh, my tips. <laughs> in terms of, because we've spoken broadly about concepts, but ultimately it's, it's the same thing. Is how mm. do we create space for ourselves as individuals in a world that seeks definition? How can we... Uh, find this balance in our spaces, in our desire to be productive, in our desire to work, and in our desire to still obviously earn financially. So in all of these ways that we must live because of the demands of the world in which we exist, how can we create moments and spaces and ways of being that allow for us to be healthy in all of the ways that we need to be. Like, how can we? So, how can we achieve it? Really, I suppose. Is, uh, from your point of view,
1: <clears throat> I, I must say it's a question that I. It's a very big question. Yes, I think a lot of people are trying to answer this yes. and question. This.
0: How can we approach it from so, your point of view?
1: In my in my mind, I think one of the first thing that, even though I talk about, I, I kind of like advocate against this idea of standards and systems but i only mean that by the way that there shouldn't be those kind of imposing systems upon people but every individual should have a system that they feel comfortable working in or like practicing in so maybe as you said maybe it could be nine to five maybe it could be that you're a nocturnal person you sleep in the day and you work at night so yes, there is. there needs to be a little bit of that. And I think a practice of diary or practice of writing a little bit also helps you to understand, to kind of reflect on yourself. So just do some a little bit of writing of like what you were thinking today and sometimes read it back. Mm-hmm. And doing some reading also clean, cleans your mind in my mind. And um, yeah, if you do that and also take care of your physical body, so don't overwork and break your back, which actually I'm saying this but, I, but you do it. <laughs> yeah. it, it it's, it's what my, uh, my my father used to say. It's very easy to give an advice, but to do the advice is the hardest. So I'm saying all this, but I, I also it's struggle to, to it. practice it. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it, it's good in, in those moments that I can do it. Writing, I find it's very helpful. It, it is a kind of slow theorizing of your practice in a way. So let's say you say, yeah, I tried nine to five, it doesn't work. I'm trying something else and it's it's a kind of a diary that you reflect on yourself and then yeah I, I think to me those things are like some of the essences in understanding yourself and the way you work and what makes you comfortable and to find out yeah the balance that I keep talking about between mm. work and life and health and yeah I wonder if that's comprehensive.
0: Well, I I think, as you said, it's such a big question, and I don't think you can comprehensively answer it. But I think, uh, I think, definitely, just trusting in the process and living it, living it through experience, is probably, is probably all we can do, really. And then not looking back, like you said, not looking back and thinking, oh, that moment. I mean, you don't have to beat yourself up for it, but there's definitely lessons you can learn. So if you didn't like that at some point, then you can change. I think I think that's one thing that is really important is, is leaning into change and accepting that you do change. I remember when, uh, in 2013, I was um move into malawi and i was so distraught about the decision and a colleague of mine she said you know that you don't have to stick by any of your decisions you can make a decision <laughs> and you can change your decision so you could move there mm. and you can come back tomorrow if you want to and that's completely fine and i think you i think we can all we all make decisions in the moment based on what we know and then we can live it and we can uh, decide we don't like it or we like it and then we can change.
1: But it is somehow uh, and, and it's real... completely
0: fine to change. Absolutely. Try something Absolutely. new and go back and go forth. And
1: But, but it somehow reminds me of that <laughs> thing that you said earlier the question that we ask kids that what kind of things you want to do and mm. somehow we are frowned upon when we when things change like
0: yeah, Yeah.
1: Yes we can see that in nature it's change is kind of like, yeah, constant.
0: A constant.
1: But for some reason, it's really frowned upon. And so, mm. and then to go back to that question that we ask a kid, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And for some reason I find, okay, if I may, if the kid may say, oh, I want to be a doctor or something, then somehow that answer kind of like really determines. And in some way, if that kid now say, oh, I want to do something else, then the parents or People around them would say, "Oh yeah, why 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 do you change? Because you, you said you you said this. Why why are you changing now?" Mm. And that's just a little bit, um, yeah, to me, confining and a bit sad, and um, pff, it it it, yeah. it it kills this ability to be flexible, let's say.
0: Yes, because whether we like it or not, we are changing. Mm. And whether we accept it or not, we are changing. And, and so is everyone else and so is the world. But yeah, you're so right that it's so frowned upon for some reason. And e-
1: e- even like, as you said, like changing something else and change back, it, it's also something that can be done. And when, when we say that, it, it, for some reason, I feel like, yeah, so let, let's talk about the decision that you made that you went to um, m- Malari. M- and uh so yeah yeah, you you can go there and you can go back immediately the day after which is like a very short change so in my mind let's say personally i maybe i work with architecture i work with leather and if i were to say if i were to have to kind of stick to the things i do meaning that oh i'm going to change from architecture to leather in a kind of very definitive way then i may feel like oh i it's hard for me to change back to architecture now or like I don't feel right. Mm. But a, a flexible mindset or way of thinking is maybe I can even change between these things day by day, or I can even change by it hour by hour. So I just, oh, this hour I'm doing an architecture thing. I'm thinking architecturally, mm. but the next hour I'm thinking, I'm doing some leather work. Some leather work yeah. and, and it it's this kind of flexibility that I think allows to, you know, do... Multiple mm. different things.
0: My guest today was Min Lee Pham. Keep the conversation going with me on Instagram at Yusiko and find out more about Min at min.land.